the distant future, which is the year 2030. 50% of American adults will be obese, not just overweight. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Welcome everyone to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. We are going to talk about dropping acid. No, I'm not getting into psychedelics, at least not in this podcast today, but I am going to talk about the importance of alkalinity over acidity and how that really does affect our lives, affect our brains, affect our well-being, have an effect on all disease, all cause disease issues in our in our lives in general. And I am speaking with a um, longtime mentor of mine, a gentleman that I absolutely love and adore and uh, just can't say enough good things about him. You've probably heard about him. He's been on the Girlfriend Doctor show before. He is a, a favorite to my audience. Some of the highest listens to listen to episodes and downloads in the Girlfriend Doctor show. And it is Dr. David Perlmutter. He is a um, true, a true gentleman, a true leader. He's a board certified neurologist and New York Times bestselling author of Grain Brain and a brainwash and a brain maker. And he's just been, uh, you know, again, fabulous, fabulous author and empowering the fight against elevated blood sugars and all causes to dementia and Alzheimer's that he certainly had firsthand experience with as um, a neurologist, but also in his personal life, having seen his father suffer with Alzheimer's disease. He's become very passionate about this. And I love this topic of acid and how uric acid ties in to our overall health, something that is really not even fully evaluated in so many blood blood panels, but it's a standard blood lab we've been doing for, for decades and decades. So we're gonna talk in this episode about how you know uric acid is an indicator for heart disease, diabetes, dementia, and all metabolic syndromes, inflammation, and cancer, and why it's so critical to decrease uric acid. We're gonna talk about the upper limit of where we want our uric acid to be, and believe me, it is way lower than when your lab tests get flagged. So way lower, so you'll listen in, in for that. And then also talking about you know, the, the connection between water, dehydration, salt, and fat, and some incredible survival pearls that work to our, or survival abilities that we have that work to our detriment. And I call this out, being a first-generation American, the um, uh, wisdom of our genetic 
lineage in helping us survive and thrive in times of famine, starvation, etc. I am from that with Middle Eastern, uh, Arabic ancestry and Portuguese ancestry. And I worked with so many Native Americans, Native American ancestry, African American, also all tremendous survival types. But of course, all of us to some degree have that. So Dr. David Permotter also says, you know, the uh, recommendations that have been given by the, you know, U.S. Food and Drug Council, the the, no surprise, the American Diabetes Association, American Heart Association have erroneously advised our um, society again. While they've come a long way, he gracefully says, he's going to show you what are some things that that are still so, so wrong. And as well as natural things that can improve your clearance of uric acid. And I'm excited to say several of those ingredients are in Mighty Maca Plus. So I'm excited about that. And again, the, just the innate, the innate wisdom of our body and nature to work together to empower our health with the right nutrition and lifestyle. So I can't wait any longer to introduce you for this very powerful New Year's episode of the Girlfriend Doctor Show with Dr. David Perlmutter. Here we go. Welcome, Dr. Perlmutter, to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. It is an honor to have you back on the show. Well, thank you, girlfriend. I'm glad <laughs> to be back uh, on your show. And uh, Anna, of course, to see you is always terrific. Well, I appreciate it. For our audience, I've introduced you, I've raved about you. I've just been a, I would say, a really a, a scientific groupie of yours for over a decade now. And I wish I had learned about you sooner, but it put me on the right course a lot earlier. And um, you're, I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here for our new year, our new year launch, our new year episode in the Girlfriend Doctor Show. What are you doing this New Year's Eve? Well, New Year's Eve is always a very, uh, it's my birthday, so it's always an interesting day because uh, it's a new year uh, for me and, and, you know, as a birthday as well. So um, it's, it's very much about new year, new you, and about looking at what you've done and what you plan to do. And um, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I, it's always a special time. So I, what will we do? We'll probably watch fireworks and be in bed long before the thing happens in Times Square. I haven't seen that for years. <laughs> uh, I can't stay up till midnight anymore. So, that, you know, that's for sure. Well, I mean, you're looking amazing. So which new year is it for you? Uh, I will be 67. 67 years young. That's exciting. And so for this 67th year, um, what do you have? What do you have planned rolling out? Well, a lot of uh, the early part of the year is uh, around the launch of our new book, Drop Acid. And that happens in the first quarter. Uh, and then, you know, there'll be a lot of uh, uh, stuff around that public television as well. Generally, by the springtime, we are preparing to move to uh, the Pacific Northwest where we live on a boat. So my wife and I live on a boat for at least four to five months a year, uh, just the two of us. We have visitors. Of course, the kids come. We have guests come. But we are alone for most of the time on our boat. This year, we're going to go from Vancouver uh, to Alaska uh, with uh, another uh, friend in, on his boat with his wife, Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Oh. 
and we are um it's a you know it's quite an adventure and we run the boat ourselves and catch the fish and do the cooking and grow vegetables up on the top and all the things it's a, a really wonderful experience we have the ability to write and certainly read and get uh, those things accomplished over the summer uh it's uh, a different uh, thing to do you know in this stage of life to in a sense isolate on the one hand on the other hand to visit broader horizons broader vistas by just by virtue of where we're going to be so looking forward to that what happens in the fall i don't know uh, but i will say that <clears throat> there's a lot of uh variabilities here in the world around us now so it's hard to be very specific about what and when uh, moving forward you know a lot depends on on what happens in our world and we've uh, in our lifetimes i think never experienced that state of um, transience that we couldn't uh, uh, really be specific about what to expect so it's in a way i guess it's good because it makes you focus on what's happening around you in the in the nearer term uh, and really dedicating to being more present and more focused on that part of life too you know we all have a tendency to think about well next year we're going to be in traveling here and there and you know i just uh, i'll live my life as best i can to get through it until such time as blank but i think one of the upsides of a pandemic and the um you know the lack of certainty that's associated with it is you do tend to have the opportunity to focus more on what's going on right now and that's a good thing i believe yeah i think that brings us it's definitely brought me into really that focus on what is the most important things what are the most important things in my life and you know i'm in dallas texas now we've got horses david i drive a dually truck ford f-350 <laughs> Haul horses. You went for the F three fifty. That's big time. <laughs> yeah, you should see it. You should see me. It's. Been... I, I'm not surprised though. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, I surprised myself, <laughs> and it's been an experience. It's been an experience, and I think it's that. Okay. Well, what? Where can I like stretch myself? And and with New Year's coming to those stretch goals. I mean, you know. So you've got this new book coming out. You're going to spend four or five months on a boat with the love of your life. And I, I love you guys as a, being able to, um, to look at you as a couple and see the love and connection and the family, like the, just like the family roots that you have. So I want to ask you about that because also, you know, you, I would tell my audience, Dr. Perlmutter is, is brilliant in so many ways. He also has a wicked sense of humor. And one yeah. of his books, Brain Movement, BM for short. Uh, was it? Is that right? That right title? And but uh, Brain Maker. Brain yeah. Maker. So BM for short. And now he's got Drop Uric Acid and it's the Love Diet, Lower Your Uric Acid Volume. Right. Yeah, so I went with this uh, this name, drop acid, because it's it, it, the it's dealing with uric acid. It's not any other kind of acid, but <laughs> I thought it would be uh, a catchy title. And I'll look at this, that says Doctor P, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> that's the secret. I've not revealed that yet to anybody. So that's uh, you know, like playing the Beatles album Revolver. I think it was backwards, and you heard all kinds of stuff, the, the hidden message there. But uh, yeah, so this is a, you know, a, a new uh, labor of love really had its uh, genesis in uh, the work of a Dr. Richard Johnson at University of, of Colorado really 
helping us all understand that this uric acid that you and I have known about for years, we've known about it in the context of gout, mm -hmm. that if your uric acid level is high, you're, you have high risk of getting crystals in your fingers and toes, which hurt. And that's really all we knew about uric acid for so long. And now we know that this is this central player uh, in metabolic, in regulating our, our metabolic uh, health. And, you know, there's even a study, uh, a paper that came out from uh, a collaborative study from uh, researchers in Turkey and in Japan called uh, Uric Acid in Metabolic Syndrome from Innocent Bystander to central player. Yeah. You know, we've known that there's high levels of uric acid associated with obesity and hypertension and diabetes, but it's not just that it happens to be elevated. It's playing a causal role. And you know, for all of us who are so interested in metabolic uh, issues and the impact that they have on our overall health and risk for things like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, to name a few, um, what an empowering tool this then becomes in our toolbox. So, you know, across the spectrum of, of metabolic issues, which are probably the number one, not probably, they are the number one uh, issues, health-related, number one cause of death on our planet, that this is really gaining so much traction in its importance. And unfortunately, that traction is kind of late to the table here in America that in other countries, uh, especially Japan, they've known about this for a long time and are really aggressive about intervening in people with elevated uh, uric acid to bring it down because of its dramatic associations with risk of death from all cause, we call it all cause mortality, risk of death being 38% increased in people uh, in terms of dying from cardiovascular disease, 35% increased risk when it's elevated of death from stroke. And interestingly, what that study showed, which involved 90,000 people over eight years, that for every point elevation of uric acid above seven, all-cause mortality increased by eight to 13%, meaning risk of becoming a dead person from any cause whatsoever directly in relationship to your uric acid level. So who knew? Uh, this is uh, new and exciting for me as a neurologist, knowing that ha having high uric acid is associated with about an 80% increased risk of dementia, a 55% increased risk of Alzheimer's specifically, and a 165% uh, increased risk of vascular or mixed dementia based upon having a high uric acid, which messes up your metabolism. That's, that's important stuff to know. It's important stuff to talk about. And in my case, it's, it's important to write about it and, and get the word out that, hey, we never knew this. This becomes a very powerful tool in your toolbox, along with uh, glucose, uh, glucose monitoring, continuous glucose monitoring, knowing your waist size, how big is your belly, your blood pressure, Uric acid takes its place amongst these very important markers of metabolism. Well, how did you identify it? Like, how did you come across it? Were you, because you have been in the, in the low, you know, really healthy, whole foods, low carb, avoiding sugar, really watching that glucose, maintaining hemoglobin A1Cs. 
pushing them below 5.3, closer to 5.0, and then addressing this. So like, how did uric acid pop up? Because I mean, as physicians, it's one of the standard labs in the blood test that give very little it attention. Is. But again, you get that back to uric acid and your patient says, uh, Dr. Kabeka, why did you check my uric acid? And probably you're, you're thinking, well, that's just on the labs, uh, the, you know, the SMA 20 or whatever it is, and it shows that you have high risk or low risk for gout. That's what we were told. So this is a you know, brand new uh, understanding. Uh, this is not your grandfather's uric acid anymore. This is uh, playing such a role in metabolism. And my interest in uh, metabolic health has been longstanding in the recognition of metabolic mayhem paving the way for Alzheimer's. That issues related to dysfunctional metabolism, elevated blood glucose, excess body fat, high blood pressure, all point to increased risk for Alzheimer's. So anything that disturbs metabolism is gonna be interesting for me. The original work relating uric acid to metabolic issues was just recent. It was published in 1894. <laughs> by a Dr. Alexander. Very Hague. recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, but pretty much got buried until a researcher uh, named Dr. Richard Johnson at the University of Colorado really began both the animal and then the human studies on uric acid, on intervening to lower uric acid, what that could do, and really laid bare this uh, central role. And how did it come to me? Well, uh, I was running one day and I was listening to the, uh, a podcast by Dr. Peter Atia, and he was interviewing Dr. Johnson. And Dr. Johnson began to lay out this relationship of uric acid to metabolic health or not. And I was, oh, I was overwhelmed by it. Uh, and to the point that when I got to the mailbox, which is, you know, my whole trip's completed. I left my house. I'm back now to the mailbox. Normally turn your Apple watch off. You're done with your run. I just had to keep going because I, I, every minute was a new pearl uh, that related uric acid. For me, so important because we've got to keep metabolism in check if you want to help the brain, help the heart, help the immune system. So I then listened to it again and uh, then picked up the phone and called Dr. Richard Johnson, said I, uh, or to emailed him, said, I got to talk to you. And we began a series of conversations about <clears throat> his work how it related to what I do uh, and formed a, a, a friendship. And um, he, uh, I dedicated this book to him actually. Uh, he's the one who's done all the work, the research. So the book is dedicated to him. And then he has a new book coming out as well called Why Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. And we'll talk about that title because yeah. it's, it's very compelling. And I wrote the forward to it. And uh, really just, again, calling attention to the research that this gentleman has done, that to me, and if I had any input into who gets the Nobel Prize, I dead seriously would think he has to be a candidate. Because it's, it's so empowering, uh, groundbreaking, disruptive, if you will. Tell us his um, name again. His name is Dr. Richard Johnson. He's at the University of, of uh, Colorado. A wonderful man, and I will say with our first Zoom call, uh, there was a, um, I think it was a Les Paul, Gibson Les Paul guitar in the background, ah. which lit me up, you know, I see that 
this guy's going to be a friend. So, so there you <laughs> a go. Jam session we had a lot future, in common. Right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not just that he's done the work in terms of understanding this physiology and biochemistry, but he revealed and published in Scientific American that the genetic mutations that cause us as human beings to have much higher levels, four to five times higher than other mammals uh, of uric acid, the genetic mutations happened around 14 to 17 million years ago in our primate ancestors as a survival mechanism. So these mutations took place and allowed us to make more body fat, increase our blood sugar, increase our blood pressure, retain water, because these were powerful advantages in times of food and water scarcity. During that middle Miocene period, when the earth became cooler, food resources became scarcer, and there was what we call a selection pressure then uh, in terms of those primates that were around, those who could make just a little bit more fat, just raise their blood pressure a little bit, turn on the production of glucose in the liver, had a survival advantage. And they continued to have that advantage and it helped our Paleolithic ancestors as well. And so to this day, we have this component uh, of our genome that is considered to be thrifty, that really wants to pack away fat for the rainy day or the winter that's coming, that really wants to prepare us for, for food scarcity. You know, our biggest threats to survival were starvation and predation, meaning not finding enough food or being food, being eaten by another animal. So it's about finding food, but also using our brain and also not getting e eaten using our brains, being smart, but also about having this advantage where our physiology would make and store fat to keep us alive. That's a superpower that you know, selected for those uh, of our ancestors who had the ability to make more uric acid. So what happens today? So today we're in a situation certain where- Types, right? Certain, certain cultures more so than others, like um, Middle Eastern and Portuguese. So, and think of the Native Americans. There's a um, evolved tendency to be better at that. That's right. And it's called the thrifty gene. And, you know, there are certain cultures, you're exactly right, that are more at risk for that because now when they're confronted with our modern world that is bombarding this pathway with the key element, which is fructose, turns into uric acid, directly metabolized right there into uric acid. And uric acid is the signal telling your body winter is coming. And we're not talking about winter's coming from a Game of Thrones perspective. Mm -hmm. Winter meaning you're not going to have food. You better make fat. Mm -hmm. So, and there are certain cultures. There is this thing called Pacific hyperuricemia, where those migrations in Polynesia and Micronesia to places like uh, Bora Bora and uh, Tahiti and all these uh, islands been going on for 3,000 years. These seafaring cultures were put uh, under a selective pressure, those would survive who had a little more fat and could make from that fat water so they wouldn't die of dehydration. They had that ability, that superpower, because they had higher levels of uric acid. 
So it's selected for those individuals who could make more uric acid. Now, you see the highest rates of obesity and diabetes and metabolic derangement on the planet are seen in those individuals living in those Pacific Islands because now they've adopted the modern diets that are that's so high in sugar and fructose in particular, and you know their health is is suffering. But mm -hmm. it's not something that we're not seeing here. Yeah, one third of American adults is now obese. And that number will be 50% in the distant future, which is the year 2030. And I say that jokingly because 2030 is right around the corner. 50% of American adults will be obese, not just overweight. And children, and children, right? Children as well. And we tend to overlook that. But, you know, 10% of kids between 12 and 19 are hypertensive, have high blood pressure for crying out loud. Not to, why do people say not to mention? Then they go ahead and mention it. Uh, not to mention, but I will. Uh, r incredible rates of uh, diabetes. We used to call it adult onset diabetes. Now it's type two diabetes because kids are getting it left, right, and center. And it's a direct manifestation of the food that they're eating with the spotlight on fructose. Fructose is metabolized to uric acid and it's uric acid that's doing the dirty work, that's amping up our production of fat, the locking down of fat so it can't be used, the increase in gluconeogenesis production of sugar glucose in the liver, insulin resistance, inflammation, uh, dyslipidemia, elevation of triglycerides. That's the dirty messaging of uric acid. It's probably unfair to say that. It's, it's uh, it, when you look at it in the context of that was for 99.99% of our time on this planet, a powerful and wonderful and good survival mechanism. It's only now in the context of challenging our genome with these new environmental circumstances, i.e. our foods that have changed so dramatically, then that pathway becomes dysfunctional for us and is paving the way for disaster but it can be remedied. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love what you're talking about. When I first saw like on Twitter, I think I saw that you were coming out with drop acid and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna send you a message. And I also was really, um, it felt really empowered, you know, because my journey into the keto green or keto alkaline way, checking urine pH has been such a big, biomarker of health and longevity in my keto green community and certainly in my life. And, and I've been paying attention to the research. And one of the uh, research articles that I came across when I, I saw that you were talking about uric acid was that an increase, the more alkaline urine pH, the better clearance of uric acid. So I was just like, oh my gosh, another great reason to check your urine pH and get that urine pH up on a regular basis to kind of guide you to clear uric acid before your next blood test monitoring your uric acid. And so I want to talk about that, that key concept of the alkalinity component in your, um, in your book, Drop Acid in the Love Diet. Like how are you navigating the ability of the body to clear to clear uric acid and um, yeah. Well, we, we attack that with a two-pronged approach. It's uh, clearance of the uric acid, of course, which is really important. That's where our defect really is. Uh, we have lost 
through over time, as I mentioned, 14 to 17 million years ago, we've lost the functionality of what is called the uricase gene or the uricase enzyme coded for by the uh, uricase genes, and there are many of them. Um, and it is a function of uricase, which many other mammals have, to break down uric acid and allow us to excrete it more readily. Because we lost the function of that uh, enzyme, our uric acid levels are therefore higher. So we look at what we can do um, through a couple of uh, approaches, both in terms of how we make uric acid and then how we excrete uric acid. And we want to really pay attention to, to those uh, concepts because making uric acid comes only from three sources. Fructose, which is clearly today the huge player, the big elephant in the room, but also we make uric acid from alcohol that we consume and also from a set of chemicals that are called purines, which are the breakdown products of uh, the metabolism of DNA and RNA. So any food that's got a lot of cells in it, be it plant or animal, could increase uric acid. Certain foods are very dense in their cellularity, like organ meats, liver, kidney, uh, game, uh, like venison and ostrich, uh, and even small fish like sardines and anchovies. It doesn't mean that we cannot consume them, but we need to look at our uric acid levels and see if the consumption of those foods seems to be making that problem worse. Again, they are less of an issue than the fructose in the modern American diet. We've gone from in the 1920s, 15 grams of fructose a day, now to 55 grams of fructose average human consumption has increased between 1970 and 1990 by a thousand percent. Fructose is directly metabolized. The end product is uric acid, which then sends signals uh, to the body that winter's coming, you better get ready for it. So uh, those are the big inputs. Now, you know, beyond that, uh, I think it's valuable to break it down just a little bit. Let's talk about the alcohol. Not all alcohol will raise uric acid, although alcohol is metabolized to uric acid. Turns out that wine uh, in women is associated with slightly lower uric acid, at least when you do what's called food frequency questionnaire evaluations, ask people what they eat and then looking at their blood work. In men, it's about neutral. Um, we know that uh, beer, for example, uh, is associated with the highest increase of uric acid. Why? Because beer contains alcohol, metabolized uric acid, but beer is also very rich in purines because it's made with yeast. Yeast is very cellular. So to that uh, degree that it increases uric acid, Japanese uh, manufacturing now is making purine-free beer for exactly this reason. They are way ahead of us in America in terms of understanding what uric acid does and therefore are targeting uh, beer for people who are savvy by making it uh, free of purines. Now, uh, the other thing that we uh, consider uh, is, uh, again, that these are the three big inputs, the players uh, that affect um, uric acid production, but there is a very important key enzyme that makes the uric acid. It's called xanthine oxidase. And if you can slow down that enzyme, you'll make less uric acid. That's how the drug for gout, allopurinol works. So allopurinol will help lower uric acid in the gout patient. 
and experimentally has been used to treat high blood pressure because it lowers uric acid, who knew, in uh, research done here, but actually uh, in the clinic uh, in Japan. But we can target that same enzyme with quercetin, uh, with luteolin, uh, which are almost as effective as the pharmaceutical uh, allopurinol in reducing that enzyme activity and therefore uh, lowering uric acid. We can then augment our ability to excrete or get rid of uric acid by simply having some vitamin C on board. Uh, and it's both targeting production and increasing excretion that explains why, for example, coffee is associated with lowering of the uric acid and is definitely on our list of, of being positive. That makes me obviously very, a very happy person. I, I look forward to that each day. Um, so there you go. I love this conversation. So the clearance of uric acid and the increase of the enzyme to help your body remove uric acid. So one of the other pieces in the literature is that in menopause, our uric acid is increasing significantly so compared to the perimenopausal state. What, why do you think that is? Like where hormonally? Well, it, it's not, what do I think? I can tell you what the science demonstrates. And that is that estrogen plays a very uh, big role in helping excrete uh, in the kidney uh, uric acid. And then presumably when we, you know, We've known that men and boys tend to have higher uric acid uh, than women and girls. And it was thought, well, men tend to eat a lot more meat, therefore the uric acid's going to be higher. Well, if that were the case, then there wouldn't be this sudden change in uric acid with menopause. So the researchers uh, looking into this discovered that estrogen is playing a role in enhancing the excretion uh, of uh, uric acid at the level of the kidney. So it's, it's been well delineated. And uh, actually to the extent that um, women who are on estrogen replacement therapy uh, actually uh, are, are seen to be a little bit protected against having their uric acid levels go up. So another good reason for um, bioidentical estrogen replacement. So one of the things in, is also we talked about gluconeogenesis, right? So gluconeogenesis in the brain is estrogen dependent in women, most likely also progesterone as the precursor to estrogen somewhere. Do you think progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, all upstream from estrogen are also playing a role here? Uh, difficult to say, but I will, I will tell you that this is one of the most important uh, uh, discoveries as it relates to everything that I am talking about. And that is uh, th these factors that enhance the new production of glucose, what you call gluconeogenesis, production of glucose de novo. This is under the control of a, a master pathway that goes by the na name of AMP kinase or AMPK. So when AMPK is not active, then we increase the production of, gluco of glucose in the body in the liver. AMPK not being active is something that's brought on by fructose and uric acid. It shuts off AMP kinase and does several things. It tells the body, you better make sugar glucose to power the brain. You better make fat and store fat because winter's coming. So we shouldn't allow AMP kinase to be turned off. We want it to be turned on. 
And we turn on AMP kinase by things like exercise, uh, taking again quercetin, who knew? Um, berberine is another activator of, a, of AMP kinase. Uh, and recognize that, you know, this is where a diabetes drug actually works. Metformin is an AMP kinase activator because it does exactly what you just talked about. It turns off this new production of glucose in the liver and helps keep our blood sugar where we need it, you know, and it helps keep it from, from becoming elevated. Fructose and uric acid shut down AMP kinase and activate a different way to metabolize AMP called AMP deaminase. And that's the evil twin of AMP kinase, the evil twin, because when we go down that pathway, then we turn on the production of body fat. We lock up our body fat so it's not as available for us to use in terms of our metabolism. We raise our, our uh, blood pressure and we tr strongly stimulate what we don't want. That is the, the, in the de novo genesis of glucose in our bodies, the production of the very sugar uh, that we're trying to keep under control. So that's the evil twin of AMP kinase, that's AMP deaminase. So the question is, how do you go down one pathway or the other? Do we go down AMP kinase and we stay thin, our blood sugars remain good, uh, under good control, or is the evil twin brought into the room? And we can bring the evil twin into the room via two pathways. By the metabolism of fructose, which consumes the energy molecule ATP, when ATP is reduced and we reduce intracellular phosphate, that triggers the evil twin. The other thing that triggers the evil twin is uric acid. Uric acid says, no, we're not gonna activate AMP kinase anymore, which is what we're looking for. We're shifting over to AMP deaminase. And as such, we're telling the body, uh, get ready for winter. And you know that's what happens in the physiology, for example, of a bear. When a bear is trying to make as much fat as it can to get ready to hibernate, they are all in on AMP deaminase activation. They're full on to make fat, store fat, and to get ready so they have a resource for fat and water while they're hibernating. And I would say, you know, for any of your listeners who are getting ready to hibernate, well, then you better eat a lot of fructose, turn on uric acid so you can activate this AMPDMase and make as much fat as you think you're going to need. For most of us who aren't planning to hibernate for six months in a cave, that's not what we ought to be doing. We ought to be on the left side of this, AMP kinase activated, uh, improving our body metrics, reducing our body weight, reducing our inflammation, improving our insulin sensitivity, improving our blood sugar measurements, improving our body mass index. All of these things are consequences of having that AMP kinase on board and paving the way for better metabolic health. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I'm loving your advice, your recommendations, plus the science behind it. I think hopefully everyone listening is, is jumping on board to order drop acid right now. And of course, checking out your Instagram and your, your social media channels are amazing. And I've popped into a live onto your Instagram. I've got to keep an eye out for when you're live. I'm popping on again, David. So I'm looking forward to it. But so I'm thinking about a 
person in my girlfriend doctor community, a woman named Julie. She's somewhat physically limited due to bilateral knee surgeries. She's been um, fighting with obesity pretty much all her life. There's uh, a Native American lineage that she has. She's 67 years old right now. I uh, know. 62 year old, 62 years old right now. And, um, and she's been, she's been doing, you know, she's been following the keto green. She's lost 65 pounds. She still has really another hundred, a hundred pounds to go. And, and this is where I think, you know, it, it's the challenge. We've, we've increased some of her supplements and um, using what we can naturally, as far as hormonal support with some intermittently progesterone and some DHEA. So typically through my balance cream and Jolva. But what would you like in, in this, you know, she's intermittent fasting 13 to 16 hours on a regular basis. What would you do with her? How would you approach her? Well, Anna, that's a, a terrific question because it's, that's exactly why we wrote the book. <clears throat> it's for people who, well, not just for, but really targeting people who are really doing their damnedest and are getting some results, but not, you know, not the end all. It's, there's still, uh, you know, that residual uh, body fat that they, they can't seem to get rid of. And, you know, their per uh, performance might not be where they want it to be. Blood sugar may remain a bit elevated. Insulin sensitivity uh, may have be compromised still. So it's this new other uh, important tool in the toolbox, along with everything else that she is doing, you know, exercise as best she can with her knee issues uh, and paying attention to making sure she gets enough restorative sleep. Hopefully she's getting out in nature. Hopefully she's, she's doing her best to engage in a program to reduce stress. But this becomes uh, managing uric acid becomes a very powerful new tool. And when you understand how many physiological pathways it influences, it really becomes a powerful tool, a very powerful and very simple, straightforward tool. So you can go online and I would advise this individual, I'm not her doctor, but I would say, go online and buy a uric acid monitor on Amazon or online, wherever you want to go. I use a device called UASURE, U-A-S-U-R-E. There are many of them out there. That's the one I choose because it's simple. And you can know your uric acid level every day. I mean, you don't really need to. I think once a week or once every couple of weeks. And you'll get to know right away uh, where you are, obviously. We want to keep the uric acid level below 5.5 milligrams per deciliter. Why don't I say that again? Keep <laughs> your uric acid level below 5.5. Because it's not considered elevated on lab work till over 7. That's right. That's exactly the point I want to make. So the lab will tell you that if you're below seven, you're fine. Please remember that's only in the context of gout because it's right around seven that the uric acid starts to crystallize and, come and precipitate out and form these painful gout crystals. So maybe that's considered the normal range. We don't want anybody to be in the normal range. We want them to be in the optimal range. What is best? And as it relates to cardiovascular risk and metabolic risk, below 5.5 is our goal, knowing full well that the average uh, uh, uric acid level in America is around six, meaning that the average American needs to drop acid a, a little bit to bring it down. You know, the average American uh, 
is dramatically overweight, if not obese. That the average individual in America age 60 or older has full-blown metabolic syndrome. That 88% of adults in America has at least one of the components of metabolic syndrome, meaning only one in eight American adults is metabolically intact. So this then becomes a very broad net that we need to throw by leveraging this tool. So that individual can get online, buy a uric acid monitor, or go to the doctor and have it checked if you don't want to do a finger stick. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. And then engage what you mentioned earlier, the love diet, lower uric values. And the beauty of the love diet is that you can incorporate everything we talk about in the love diet into your keto plan or paleo plan or vegan plan or uh, whatever other dietary approach you favor because you think it's the way to go. All we are bringing to the table quite, quite literally are nuances of each of those ideas as it relates to lowering your uric acid values, meaning less purine rich meat and meat products and, and certainly the biggest player of all is getting the fructose out of your life. Um, you know, is there fructose in fruit? Well, by definition it is, that's what the term means, fruit sugar, fructose. Uh, there is, and can you eat fruit? You bet you can, because when you eat fruit, you're, you're getting it in the context of fiber, of bioflavonoids, we mentioned quercetin and luteolin and you're getting it with vitamin C. We mentioned that before, helps you excrete uric acid. So eating fruit in moderation is actually associated with a lower uric acid level, but not fruit juice. I mean, we've known that fructose consumption is associated with an overall smaller brain, dramatically smaller memory center, and even reduction by years, the functionality of memory by just having a uh, higher consumption of soft drinks and or fruit juice. So there's nothing paleo about drinking fruit juice. The, our ancestors weren't hunting and gathering and finding gallons of fruit juice hanging from trees. Didn't work that way. That is delivering a powerful surge of fructose in your system that tells your body prepare for winter. Mm -hmm. That's not the case when you have your apple a day to keep the doctor away or maybe two, but it doesn't mean you know, a whole bowl full of blueberries is, is going to be in your interest. And, and frankly, cherries, as I talked about earlier, uh, or I mentioned earlier, uh, is a way, uh, is associated, there are things in cherries, the bioflavonoids that actually are associated with pretty significant dropping of your uric acid uh, to the extent that, you know, for decades, consumption of what are called tart cherries, more so in women than men, uh, has been what women did uh, to help control their gout. If you look, uh, yeah, see the cherry, how it, can you tell that it's falling? Yes, yeah, I love there you go. dropping so the acid. There you go, that's- uh, Well, I, I love the research what? on sour cherry and tart, you know, tart cherry. I'm actually using that included in a nighttime uh, sleep formula with maca and a couple other things. And the research is really, is really strong on that to help support it. Well, the research shows metabolic advantages to consuming tart cherries. And now we know why. Now we know so much about why these things work mm -hmm. because it's through the lens of uric acid. We've known since 1970, uh, appearing in the journal of The Lancet, that fructose is a threat to metabolic health, despite the $10 billion uh, that was put into uh, 
efforts to keep us from that. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> we, we've known that fructose is a threat to metabolic health, but we never knew how it worked. I mean, why would that be? And, and having said that, uh, now we, we've teased apart these mechanisms through the signaling mechanism, which is uric acid. Actually, the messaging on, on uh, uh, corn-related um, sugar was, uh, was $500 million, not billion dollars, $500 million was part of the campaign on the part of the corn industry to let us think that fructose was a safer sugar, and therefore, uh, you know, we should be eating more of it. Uh, it's fortunately, we're learning, uh, even though it was first described in 1970, now the truth comes out. We actually, uh, along with the Dr. Casey Means, I published a, uh, an op-ed in MedPage Today uh, in, on February 21st, 2021, which was an open letter to President Biden challenging the USDA guidelines saying that 10% of our calories, uh, it's okay if it comes from sugar. Um, there's a scientific term for that. It's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. The, the uh, Virtually every scientist advising the USDA on what would be best for our health indicated perhaps 6%, but probably even lower. But yet the USDA had to answer to the industry, the, the corn growers, for example, who want us to continue to make high fructose corn syrup and use it as a sweetener in more than 60% of the foods that are packaged in American grocery stores. So, you know, well, here's science coming up against uh, politics. Politics and, and media and- You marketing. bet. And so we wrote that letter mm -hmm. and because the problem is that, you know, the USDA only publishes these guidelines every five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once these recommendations are made, now we're stuck with it till 2025. So we- pleaded with President Biden uh, to you know, intervene and issue some guidance or have one of the institutions issue some guidance in terms of what we really should be eating in terms of sugar. The nutritional requirement of sugar is zero. zero. So what did Our they say? Do not, pardon me? What did they say? Did they respond? Uh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I mean, I'm not being critical there, but yeah. you know, these things are, it's like trying to to steer a an aircraft carrier yeah. it, it takes an awful lot to, to spin the wheel well, longevity starts in our womb and high fructose corn syrup right is a toxin to fetal health and so when we look at that early on just the recommendations for pregnancy the recommendations for you know that we're saying that you know ada well also like what the ada is saying for diabetics gestational diabetics or otherwise and the concept of you know uh very little, um, man, I don't want to say very, very little sustainably good advice is, is my experience in working with um, some of those recommendations. I would love to know, like the American Diabetes Association diet plan, how does that, um, how does that coincide with what you're recommending? Well, I'm happy to say that, that they've come along that uh, they are no longer advocating that fructose is a safer sugar. Uh, that, that was tough. Uh, but still, I mean, this notion of 10% of calories coming from sugar and the, the, the lack of really being uh, extremely aggressive about this and 
you know, not recognizing the sugar in, fru in uh, uh, fruit juice, for example, and the fact that the American Heart Association, you know, follows a similar path. Look at who sponsors these organizations and you can then understand, it's so sad, but why it is that their messaging is the way it is. Uh, again, there is no nutritional requirement for sugar. We're gonna make the glucose that we need we're gonna make the glucose from the foods we eat that are not sugar, but contain starch. Uh, we'll break down starch and form glucose, uh, enough of it. And you know, as it relates to fructose, the only thing that we would need fructose uh, in our bodies for would be if we were facing starvation. And even then, uh, our bodies would uh, have the ability to make fructose out of glucose. We can manufacture fructose if our bodies sense that we need to. And having said that, you know, that fructose then becomes uric acid and we can trigger that mechanism as well when we become dehydrated. So dehydration powerfully activates this wow. enzyme uh, pathway, metabolic pathway called the polyol pathway using aldose reductase as an enzyme. Uh, and uh, sorbitol hydroxylase to, um, to actually create fructose in our bodies and, and as such then give us some state of protection. When I say dehydration, the sensing mechanism for dehydration in our bodies is our sodium or salt level, but specifically a sodium level. So you can trick your body right now into thinking it's dehydrated by eating a bunch of salted pretzels, for example. What does that do? Sodium level goes up a little bit. You activate these enzymes, you start mm -hmm. converting glucose into fructose and you make fat that by virtue of eating salt. Yeah, that may be more the tie-in to hypertension than salt itself, right? This uric acid uh, increase, how that would tie into hypertension. It's exactly right. Because, recommendations. You know, and it's not that our ancestors became hypertensive. They became normotensive in the face of being hypotensive. In other words, it was a survival mechanism because it allowed them to maintain blood pressure, send blood to their vital organs and to their brains. That's a vital organ as well uh, <laughs> when they were risking dehydration. So, uh, you know, it, it's not that it, it, it made them uh, have high blood pressure, but in today's world, it certainly does. What's the simple fix here? Eat less salt. And if you do have, you know, you go through a bag of salty chips, which I guess people do, drink a lot of water and dilute that sodium out. It'll be much less aggressive in terms of converting glucose into fructose and activating this entire pathway to uric acid, which is the alarm signal. It's then an understanding now uh, between uh, the relationship of salt consumption and becoming overweight or obese. One interesting study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association had two groups of children in, in, in school. And in one group, they put a drinking fountain outside their classroom and encouraged them to have water. That group had a 30% reduction in the development of obesity. Uh, so water, who knew drinking water sure. because it dilutes down our sodium and therefore tells the body, hey, things are cool. We don't need to make fat. Now, there may be some confusion uh, between why would not having water have to do with fat? Here's the reason. Fat is a powerful resource for making 
fresh water in your body. Think about that. When we store fat, we're in a sense storing a resource to make water. Storing fat will keep us alive when we're dehydrated. We can't find water. When we're nomadic, we don't know where our water's coming from. If we had a little bit more fat, we would have more water. What do you think is inside the camel's hump? It's not water, fat. it's fat. Mm -hmm. And it's why when they, once they cross the desert, that hump is a lot smaller because they've burned the fat, they've made water so they don't have to drink and they've used it for calories as well. But that's what fat storage is all about. It's calories, yes, a very, very dense source of calories, but it's also what we make water out of. You know, when we burn fat, we're producing carbon dioxide and water that stays in our body. It's why, you know, uh, whales don't drink water. Where does their fresh water come from? It's why whales have a lot of fat. They are making fresh water all the time. The, I love it. the hummingbird, the hummingbird is one of the fattest animals on the planet. When it's ready to make its migration, 40% of its body weight is fat because it's a resource for fresh water and of course calories for this very hypermetabolic animal that's gonna now fly for thousands of miles. It's got fat, it can make water and it can use, uh, make energy. I love it. And I could speak with you all day and I definitely wanna, I know if, uh, we've, we've gone over a little bit here for your schedule and I'm just so grateful for you spending the time with me and my audience today. I always learn so much when I speak with you. And I'm really excited about this book, Drop Acid. You guys cannot forget that title, Drop Acid, Dr. David Perlmutter. Anywhere books are sold and definitely check him out on his social media channels as well as your podcast, David. Tell people where to, um, to reach you. And then I'm gonna ask you one final question this <laughs> New Year's. Okay. So uh, Clearinghouse for me is drperlmutter.com. Dr. Perlmutter, no period, drperlmutter.com. And that's where people can learn about the Empowering Neurologist uh, YouTube uh, videos. We post them on our website as well. And there are links to all the rest of the stuff uh, that you kids today are doing, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Haven't done TikTok yet, but who knows? You'll be there. I have no doubt. I'll see you there. Oh, I, just I don't started. know. I just started. I don't know. All right. My daughter's doing better than I am though. So, okay. That's not so, surprising. So what is your new year's resolution for 2022? Well, I haven't gotten there uh, quite yet. Um, but generally what I think about uh, as it relates to that day, again, a new year also for me um, is gratitude mm -hmm. and just to recognize uh and be grateful for all the good things that surround me and all of us. You know, there's such a tendency these days, especially to call out the bad things that are happening all around us in terms of a pandemic, in terms of politics, in terms of just how aggressive the world has become. You know, I've certainly highlighted some of the negativity today uh, with reference to what's going on nutritionally, how that's influenced by industry. But for me, it's gratitude in that regard that there is so much research showing the other side of the story. So I think to focus on the good and be grateful for all the good things in your life, um, you know, for our loved ones. And I know that comment for you is especially meaningful that we've all had hardship in our lives 
and yet there um, the sun still shines on on the good things. So, you know, that's where I tend to each year uh, double down again on on focusing and working on recognizing how darn important that is. Yeah, it's so true. Thank you for emphasizing that and for ending our discussion with that. And I'm very grateful for you. I'm grateful for you in my life and all the gifts that you put forth in this world and that you are just always on the cutting edge, really leading medicine along in the right direction, putting it back on course for the best. There's a great Joni Mitchell line. Actually, uh, Actually, and I think that uh, Judy Collins sang this song as well. And it's uh, tears and fears and feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. So right out loud, and I'm telling you, I love you. Uh, I love you too, David. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here today. And thanks to all our listeners. So much to take home and take away from this meeting. I will be right back. You likely can see why I admire Dr. David Perlmutter so much, his intelligence, his wisdom, his ability to bring it to clinical guidance, right? Like what are our next steps? What do we need to do next? How do we self in, you know, how do we investigate what's going on with our physiology? And he is about empowering. He's known, his podcast is the Empowering Neurologist podcast. And so many good guests and interviews. I've been blessed to be on his podcast twice. And um, I'm just very grateful. Again, he wrote the foreword to my first best-selling book, The Hormone Fix. And I, again, encourage you to check out Drop Acid and follow up with the love method, the love diet that he's got coming up, L-U-V, love diet, a great addition to this new year, a great addition to our life, a great addition to our keto green lifestyle. And so with this, setting our intentions for this year, uh, Dr. Perlmutter had mentioned gratitude, right? The importance of gratitude. Does that be a resolution that I'm really focusing on all the things that I am grateful for, seeing, choosing to see the gifts in our lives, choosing to be grateful for so, there's so much more to be grateful for than there is otherwise. There really is. And of course, that's an oxytocin increasing habit which will increase alkalinity. And I'm sure we'll see a tie with increasing oxytocin and decreasing uric acid. We certainly see that it improves our urinary pH. So likely increases the excretion of uric acid and um, improves the quality of our lives and why that's such a powerful, a powerful practice to have in our lives. So I wanna wish everyone happy new years. Thank you for being part of the Girlfriend Doctor community. And I am excited to be you know, adding in this additional piece into our um, Keto Green lifestyle. We are starting this January off with Keto Green Challenge, Keto Green 16 Challenge in our Keto Green 16 community. So if you have any questions, be sure to email team at drannacabeca.com. So T-E-A-M at drannacabeca.com, D-R-A-N-N-A-C-A-B-E-C-A.com. So 
if you want to join us in this challenge, we have information and we'll be emailing everyone on our list about the Keto Green 16 challenge as well. So stay tuned, stay tuned for that. You should be getting an email very shortly if you haven't already to join me in this Keto Green 16 challenge and I will be on with you daily. So I'm excited again to share this information with you and to add this insight into our lifestyle and help you along the way, really establishing the safe community. So thank you for being here. Happy New Year. And I look forward to this year of 2022 with you.